All right, everybody. Um, let's, uh, I loved that prayer time. Because as I was praying on the hope that we have, I realized that it's an alien hope. Like it's a, it's a hope that I, it wasn't always a hope that was there for us, but it's a, it's a hope he gave us. Like it's different. Um, so I, I love that reflection. Um, so today, um, Cross Life, our, our journey in scripture is going to be a little bit different. Um, we have been in Matthew all the way up to the end of chapter 14. Um, after the new year, then we will start 15 and we will finish out Matthew. Today, the message is really um, just going to, it's going to focus and dwell in the Old Testament, which I know seems like a very Christmassy thing to do, but, uh, but it's because it's the right thing to do. Um, I titled it From Creation to Christmas. So what we're going to actually do is start in Genesis and we're just going to start moving through the Old Testament all the way up to Matthew chapter 1, which is where we have been, is, is in Matthew. And I think it's good to do this um, regularly, to, to remember that, that everything about Christ has always been very intentional and from the heart of God from the very beginning. And for us to be reminded of that is good. So we're, we're going to talk about that here in a moment. So we're, we're going to... Our whole folks will be from Genesis, from creation, all the way to the coming of Christ in Matthew 1. And so that's where we're going to be in Scripture today. And um, last year, what we did is we actually did the, the opposite of that. We started with the birth of Christ, and then we went all the way through the New Testament at, at all the hope and joy and the peace and the, the promises that we have as a result of Him coming. So this year, we're going back to the Old Testament. And um, next year, I already know what we're going to be doing. We're going to take... A handful of these and look at some of the or at the promise or the the foreshadowing and then the New Testament parallel truth and so to see how he completed these things and so it's just good to be reminded of these things. All right, everybody. With that said, um, my hope and prayer today is that we are left with hearts of worship and peace in this that the promised King, the promised Messiah. The promised Savior, the promised Redeemer, the promised Lamb has indeed come, just as was promised from the very beginning at creation. That from the beginning, in the garden, the hope of Christ was proclaimed. He has always been the plan, is what I hope we see today, for our redemption. And that is what I hope that we see today, that we are reminded yet again that what we have already known, but we may have forgotten, that we are reminded of the faithfulness of God to redeem His people from a dark and broken world. That in looking at all these scriptures and these passages today, that we will worship God by reflecting on His promises throughout the ages that He has held secure and the fulfillment of those promises for us. Okay, before we hit Genesis, I'm going to take you to a verse that uh, I, I've got two passages that really kind of set the framework for today. So go to Acts chapter 2. And by the way, as we move today, we're going to be moving through a lot of Scripture. Um, my notes, our notes as elders are always available. Um, and so I can send you the manuscript. I can send you all the Scripture references that we're going to go to. This may also be a day where if you're sitting by yourself, you may want to scoot close to someone because you can say, okay, you get this one, I'll get the next one. And you can kind of play off of one another's um, Bible and not have to flip as many pages yourself. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 24. 
This is the passage that, that really um, started me on this journey. And it was this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Look at verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him, Jesus, to be held by it. So verse 23 is what God put in my heart about a month ago um, again. And I remember this verse just completely wrecking my theology and my, my, my mental capacity of how God works. Because what it really does is it brings to the surface the great mystery of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. These are dual truths in Scripture. But look at verse 23 again. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Were the lawless men guilty of murdering Jesus Christ? Absolutely they were. That responsibility is laid upon them. They crucified and killed with their own hands the Messiah. That responsibility is laid upon them and they are accountable for it. But also, all of this was according to God's plan. To the definite foreknowledge, according to the plan of God in His sovereignty, this has been the plan. That's what it says in Scripture, according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. And that's what we're going to look at today. This has always been the definite plan. This has all been in the foreknowledge of God. Christ has never been plan B. The Christ who came to rescue and ransom and redeem us and break the stronghold of sin and bring us to His side has been the promised plan from the very absolute beginning. Also, one of my favorite passages, look at Luke 24. So you're going to flip to your left. Go to Luke 24, verses 13 through 27. Oh, this is going to be fun today. They didn't give me a countdown clock back there. <laughs> you're just going to have to rely on my endurance. And I got a lot of sleep. Luke 24, verse 13 through 27. I just, I love this passage. This is post-resurrection. It says, That very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. The death of Christ, the empty tomb. They don't know what's going on. Verse 15, While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him? But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some, of our, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found, just as, found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, 
Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the promises of all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And now verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So all of a sudden, the veil is completely removed and he begins to show them, hey, in Genesis, when Moses was writing, that was about me. In Exodus, as Moses was writing and giving the law, that was about me. And in Isaiah, whenever, it's pro- whenever he's prophesying about these things, it was about me. And he begins to show them all throughout Scripture, from Moses, the very beginning, through all the prophets, everything that was about him. But that not have been just so stinking cool. Like he's just like, hey, remember whenever he's talking about the sacrifice? That one's a May festival. Like he just keeps showing everything has been about him from the beginning. Why? Because to pull Acts back in, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawful men. According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, Christ has always been the plan. So that's what we're going to, we're going to look at that today. Next week is more of a worship of the fact that he has come. We're going to look at some passages, but we're really going to be singing a lot. And, and here we're going to hear our kids praise him, and we can sing with them, just so you know. I know you want to hear their voices, but he loves to hear all of our voices. And so it's going to be cute, and it's going to be for all of us to lead us to worship this Christ who came for us. Now, if you're ready, go all the way to Genesis. This is not... In fact, this is called the incomprehensive list. It does not include every prophecy and every portrait and every picture of Jesus. Um, the original list did not have, was not complete, and then we called it down even from there. And so it is going to be a whole lot of moving commentary. It's going to be, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and then we're just going to keep flipping to the right, moving through Scripture. If I give you a wrong reference... I'm sorry. I'm just, if I say 317 and you're looking at it and you're then just give me that awkward look and then I will remember to send you a message that this is actually your passage. Um, I, I tried. I, I think they're all right. Some of these are ESV, some are Holman, Christian Standard Version, some may be NIV, to be quite honest. As I'm, I was pulling them, I was trying to be consistent, um, but I, I'm, it may not always line up with the ESV if that's what you have in front of you. Okay, Genesis 3.15 is the Proto-Evangelicum. This is the very first time that the gospel is ever presented. God says to um, Adam and Eve and the serpent listening, or or to Adam and Eve and the serpent, he speaks to each one of them. And then to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that is the very first time that Christ has promised to come and redeem. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know Christ. They knew that there is some hope in the future of one who would destroy the evil one. So that's a very first glimpse. They're at the very, very beginning of creation. Okay, now you're going to flip to Genesis 12, 3, where this is going to be our mode. It's just going to be a walking commentary because I want you to have more of Scripture and entirely so much less of me by the end of all of this. And are there passages in between? 
Yes, Bo, I know that there are going to be passages I miss in the Abrahamic promise. But we're going to go Genesis 12, 3. And it says, um, God speaking to him, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we may sit there and go, that's, that's the Abrahamic promise. That's about Abraham. That's about Israel. Except that Christ is the Israel. Christ is the one who comes from the line of Abraham. He is the ultimate fulfillment of this right here so that all peoples on earth are blessed through Abraham's line, which includes Christ, which we will see in Matthew 1, 1. So then we go to Genesis 28, 14. Skipping over some passages in there. Genesis 28, 14. Goes a little bit deeper with it. Your descendants, Abraham, will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And so this Abrahamic covenant becomes even fuller, and it's coming through his line, so much so that the, the lineage of Abraham is not just bound to a single nation, but it goes to the ends of the earth, and that's only possible because Christ's redemption is to the ends of the earth, to the uttermost for all time. And so this promise just keeps spreading, which takes us all the way to Exodus 12, 21. And as you're turning to Exodus 12, 21 through 23, there's a, well, I'll wait. Exodus 12, 21 through 23, sorry. I'm kind of excited. And I do have the cheat notes up here. Like mine are lined out much smoother than yours. In Exodus 12, 21 through 23, before this particular passage, there are also passages and verses about you shall bring goats and you shall bring other sacrifices. And those are also foreshadowing that a sacrifice must be made for sin, for guilt, for atonement. So those are also, we understand now, foreshadowings of Christ. And then in Exodus 12, 21 through 23, it says this. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians, those who are not his own. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, whenever he sees the blood on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you. And then also look at verse 46. The Passover lamb, verse 46, it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of its bones. And here's what we know of Christ. He is the Passover lamb. This was just a picture And what we see all throughout the Old Testament is that God provides very physical, very substantial, tangible pictures and portraits and practices so that we have something physical that we can actually experience and look back at to understand the spiritual reality that we have now. Does that make sense? That's what we're seeing all throughout the Old Testament is that here's a picture, here's an actual real physical Passover lamb and its bones will not be broken though it is slain. And the spiritual reality fulfillment is that Christ was slain for our sins and not a single bone was broken. The Passover lamb, the correlation, this is what we're doing today, okay? 
It's incredible what God has been doing according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God from the very beginning. Christ has always been the plan for our redemption. Look at Leviticus 17.11. And there actually is a whole lot in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy in the law. The law was meant to awaken to us our need for a Savior. How a holy God, who is a different aspect of holy than we could ever imagine or think of in our humanity, he begins to reveal to a humanity what holiness actually looks like. And in looking at that holiness, we realize this is heavy. This is other. We need a Savior. And so then the Savior comes and answers all the fullness of the law. But as we look at the law, it's amazing how a holy God would communicate to a sinful humanity what holiness looks like. Leviticus 17.11 says this, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Before Christ was ever known in the world, a blood atonement was already set in place. And we understand that it's through Christ that our atonement really, fully, truly is. Flip to your right and go to Numbers 21.9. In Numbers 21.9, it says, So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole, up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. This one puzzled me for years because Christ even says, I believe it's in John, that just as, the, just as Moses lifted the bronze snake, so the Son of Man must be lifted. But what happens here is they are bitten by snakes and they will die unless they look upon the golden snake that is upon a staff and it's lifted up. If they will look and see death and in that picture of death, they will find life. So then we also understand now that as we look to the death of Christ on the cross, looking at looking at his death, we find life yet again. That as sin or death inflicted them and then they looked at that which would be their salvation lifted up, then so we have sin and we look at look at our sin upon the cross, which Christ became sin for us so that we may have life. And it was all the way back in numbers what he was doing. It's incredible. I'm, it's incredible for me. I know we're going pretty fast. Okay, now let's go to Deuteronomy. This is a, a passage that might get overlooked, but it is pointing to Christ. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 through 16. Moses is speaking, and Moses says, The Lord your God, the Lord your God, verse 15 through 16, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you ask of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. Let there be an intercessor. Let there be a mediator. 
And this is foreshadowing the Israelite who would come, who would be not just like Moses, but who would be greater than Moses. He would be the prophet of all prophets. This is pointing even then that there will be one who is raised up from among them and they must listen to him and he will be the mediator. He will be the intercessor. He will be the one who communicates to a holy God on our behalf. And then we flip to the right and we go to second Samuel. Second Samuel seven. Verses 12 through 13. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up of your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It's the Davidic promise that comes from the Abrahamic promise. And this Davidic promise, the promise that was given to David, is that there would be one who comes after David and he would be a king and his kingdom would never end. This is pointing ultimately to Christ the king whose kingdom never ends. Everyone thought it was coming in the next generation or the next king or the next king. Every king would come and then the king would either sin or would fail or would simply die. And in his death, they're wondering, well, where is the promise of this eternal kingdom? This is why when Christ comes on the scene and they believe that he is the king, they want to establish him as king immediately because in the establishing of him of king, he will reign forever and ever. But he only gets to take the throne of this eternal kingdom whenever he lays down his life because his kingdom is not of a throne on this earth right now. It's the throne in heaven. And then one day heaven and earth will be married and he will reign eternally forever and ever and ever. But the promise made to David, whenever he is told, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. And do you know if Christ is in the line of Abraham, you know who else is in his line? David. The offspring of Abraham is the offspring of David. This is a promise of the one who will build a house for his name and establish the throne forever. Let's look at Psalm 16. Does this pattern and path work? Are we okay? Okay. Psalm 16, 9, 11. All throughout the, the Psalms and the, the prophets. I'm sorry, Psalm 16, 9, 11. 9 through 11. There are moments throughout the Psalms whenever you have to stop and realize that there is a great God working and speaking through David and the psalmist. Because we will hear and see things lived out in Christ's life that if we knew these psalms, we would understand that they are the fulfillment of Scripture. We're going to be looking backwards because we know of Christ's sacrifice. We know of Him on the cross. Therefore, as we look back at the psalms, I need you to understand the generations had passed from the time that these psalms were written to the time that Christ came. And what I hope you understand then is this is all in the foreknowledge and according to the definite plan of God. That the Spirit 
of God was moving the psalmist to write these things that were words in the moment and I do think had application in the moment for David and the, or whoever the psalmist would be in that particular case, but their fullness and the substance of them is actually Jesus Christ. For example, Psalm 16, 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Um, instead of realm of dead, it might be Sheol in some translations. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I just want to use one of those, and I, I took out several psalm passages. But Christ was not abandoned to Sheol or to the realm of the dead. He was resurrected. This is something that we see the fullness of. And so I just want you to see how these things are layered in. Absolutely, there are pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God. But do you know who sits at the right hand of God? Jesus, this is just another glimpse of how the Spirit moved David to pen things that have their fullness in Jesus Christ. Let's look at Psalm 40, 6 through 9. While you're flipping there, we read Psalm 22 um, as our opening scripture. If you read Psalm 22, it talks about, it says, the psalmist says, I've given my back to those who afflict me. It's, It's all about Christ giving himself, even though Christ was not known in the moment. It was a foreshadow. It was a prophecy. We see this in Psalm 40, verses 6 through 9. The psalmist writes, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my ears you have opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about, just think about it. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. These are words that Jesus Christ himself would say and do. Who else would be written about in the scroll? the one who desires to do the will of God, the one who will do saving acts in the great assembly. It is Jesus Christ to come. The Psalms are great poetry. They are great prayers. To me, I will tell you, I think it's probably one of the most human books in the entire Old Testament or possibly the Bible. You experience all the range of emotions. But in that, there are promises and glimmerings of the Savior who is to come and who fulfills these things. Psalm 41, 9. Psalm 41.9 says, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. Could David have said those things? Absolutely. Was Judas right there in the presence of Jesus? Was he one who was considered a close friend with Jesus and who Jesus said, the one to whom I give this bread? And then he gives the bread to, Ju- to Judas. Look at Psalm 69.21. The psalmist writes, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. David absolutely may have experienced something like that, but when Christ hung on the cross and he says, I thirst, what did they do? They dipped the the sponge in vinegar and then they raised it up to him and they gave him vinegar for his thirst. And in Psalm 78, Psalm 78 verse 1 and 2, 
the psalmist penned these words that were spoken by Jesus or in my people. Hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. Here it is. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things of old. Let's go to Isaiah. So all throughout the Psalms, you will see glimpses now of who we know to be Christ the Savior. And as they were reading the Psalms before Christ was ever known, and they're waiting on that king, they're waiting on that prophet, they're waiting on the Messiah, they would even recognize then that this is about the one who is to come. This is about the suffering servant. This is the one who will suffer for our sake and yet be the king of everything. In Isaiah 7, 14, says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds, one more, upon hundreds of years before Christ was ever born into this world. Isaiah said, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And then what do we see in the Gospels? A virgin gives birth and is given the name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Then Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to do verses 1 and 2 and then we'll go to 6 just for the sake of time. Isaiah was a prophet for, if you did not know, and prophecy, by the way, can be both foretelling and foretelling. I think this is important to understand how to read prophecy. Foretelling, um, going, going like laterally from where we are in this time, things that we need to know right now. So your prophets are always speaking very boldly and very bluntly and very um, sometimes brazenly um, to the people who are listening about their current circumstance. So prophecy is foretelling, but it's also foretelling um, and so that's the difficulty of a book like Revelation. It was foretelling to those who were there in that time, but it's also foretelling. And you'll see some of the complexities as we move through Isaiah. In Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You know, Jesus the Galilean who would come as the light into the world. Verse 6, for, un, or I'm sorry, yes, for unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Moment here. They are waiting on a king, a prophet, a messiah, a suffering servant. And then they are told that there will be a child who is born of a virgin and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. They're waiting on that. Now they're told that a child is born. A child is born. So what happens in prophecy is I, I just kind of dub it as the prophetic past and the prophetic present. So sometimes prophets will speak about the present or the past about something that in the actual timeline of our life had not even happened yet. Because in the prophecy, it was an actuality. 
For unto us a child is born. Jesus Christ was not born then. It's still six to seven hundred years minimum that he's going to be born. But a child is born because it's done. Why? Because it's according to the definite foreknowledge. I'm sorry, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He's talked about there. A child is born and to us a son. The son of God is given and the government will be upon his shoulder. Why? Because he's going to rule absolutely. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Not wonderful, comma, Counselor. That person, like if you ever hear, they're like, wonderful. Counselor. Prince of, no, wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. Why? Because his Holy Spirit dwells within us. Why? Because he has all power and might and wisdom. And we cannot search it out because the height and width and depth no one can know. And his ways are inscrutable. He's a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. The son that is born will be mighty God. He is mighty God. He is everlasting father. The son, Jesus Christ, one of the Trinity, is everlasting father. And Prince of Peace, which Andy took us to. So I don't have to go there. But we understand that by Jesus Christ, he is the Prince of Peace, making peace with men and peace with God so that we may live in the peace and the hope of all that he has given us. Isaiah 11, verse 10. Maybe obscure um, for, for us. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In the line of Jesus is Jesse. He is the root. He's the stump. He is the, the one that will come from this line. And that's when you see that he will be a banner for all peoples, not just Israel. Everybody, all the nations will rally to him. We see the fullness of that in Revelation. It's prophesied and promised in Isaiah 11.10. People didn't really know what that would mean except that there's got to be someone who's coming, a king, a prophet, a priest, a king who is going to fulfill this. Isaiah 25, verses 7 through 9. There's a lot in Isaiah. So we're going to be in Isaiah just kind of skipping that stone across there. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 7 through 9. And it says, He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread out over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of His people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And Christ was not even born. Isaiah chapter 35. Verses 5 through 6. Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 6. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. We just, we know Christ's ministry and what he, he was healing the blind and the deaf. He was calling the lame to walk. I just want you to see even glimpses like that throughout there. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 40. Man, it's good they did not give me a countdown clock today. Don't worry, we're, we're actually 
Oh, well, okay. I'll, I'll negotiate some, and I'll send you all my notes. Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 4. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And that is prophesying about who? Pop test. John the Baptist, the one who would come in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to... Okay, Isaiah... Okay, Isaiah 42. We're going to skip over it. So keep going to Isaiah 50. The reason we're going to skip over Isaiah 42 is we actually covered it in preaching Matthew. That's the one where it talks about here's a servant, the one I've chosen, I've put my spirit upon him. He will not break a bruised reed nor um, a, sm a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So we've preached that through Matthew. Um, that was in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. In Isaiah 50, Let's just go to 53. Okay, let's go to 53. So many verses. I'm trying to be mindful. I, I taught, I've taught for 11 years, and while it may all be good content, once you sit for so long, once the, um, once the behind is numb, then the brain is dumb. So even if you want to attend to it once you've sat for so long, then it just, it, you get numb. But Isaiah 53, 1 through 12, we can't miss this one. I was willing to negotiate those other two for the sake of this one. It is probably familiar to us, but I need you to understand that as this is written, Christ not only has not died or given himself at this point in our timeline, but Christ was not even born at the time that this is written. This is like decades upon decades, generations before Christ ever comes. But listen to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. Jesus Christ, who was slain at the hands of sinful, murderous men. God's word says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. 
And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. The Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant. He shall see his offspring, the dust of, more numerous than the dust of the earth. And he, God, shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his, Jesus' soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 61.1, you can just listen to it. Isaiah 61.1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the, and, and from darkness for prisoners. It's exactly what Jesus did. It's exactly what He lived out. It's exactly what He articulated. Jeremiah 31. So flirt, start flipping to your right to Jeremiah 31. We're so close to the fulfillment of it all. Jeremiah 31. This may be one that, that if not shown this, you might not realize it. So I want to make sure and include it. In Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, through the prophet it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Here comes the new covenant. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity or their sins, and I will remember their sin no more. The promise of the new covenant is only able to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The new heart that you and I have, the forgiveness of our sins, that we may know the Lord and He will put the law in our hearts, was prophesied in Jeremiah before Christ was ever born. Listen to Hosea 11.1. In Hosea 11.1, it says, he was a, Hosea was a prophet, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And that may be one of those where we say, well, Israel was enslaved to Egypt and, and God called them out of Egypt, except that Christ even comes and we see the fulfillment of it in Scripture to where it even notes this verse and says, out of Egypt, I've called my son. And so we see that in the gospel narratives. And Christ was the embodiment, the fullness of Israel and all that they should and will be. And in Micah 5, 2, it says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins, oh, I love this, are from of old, from ancient times. Through who? Bethlehem. Where was Christ born? Bethlehem. And he is the one whose origins, it says in Scripture, are from, from of old. That's just awesome. 
What a title, the ancient one or the, the one from of old, from of ancient times. I'm just going to skip this stone pretty quickly for us because then we go to Zechariah, moving through all these prophets here at the end. And I'll, but in Zechariah 9, 9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, Israel. Daughter, Jeru, shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that's exactly how Christ would enter before his passion began. And Christ wasn't even born when that was written. But this is the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. So much that he layers it all in that as we look back through the Old Testament, we see Christ glorified because he's talked about constantly. Zechariah 11, 12 through 13. Seems like a vague reference. Seems, actually seems like a throwaway passage unless you know the story of Christ. And you're going to catch it. Watch. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. Christ was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And then it even says, and the Lord said to me, throw to the potter the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. And then if you know what was done with the silver, what, had, what was purchased? Potter's filled. All throughout, God was giving glimpses of his coming glory in the fullness of Christ. That was Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 through 13. Okay, now go to Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And then we will follow it with Matthew chapter 1. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Hundreds of years yet again before Christ was ever born. The prophet writes, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of their parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And John the Baptist, we know, came in the spirit of Elijah. You look at descriptions of Elijah in the Old Testament. You look at the wild man John the Baptist in the New Testament and you would understand why so many believe that he was Elijah come again. And the prophet Elijah did come and he prophesied and he said, make way the past because the Lord is coming. Now the last passage I want you to see is Matthew chapter 1. So turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. I hope it ties it all together. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon. Now we're going to go Salmon here because we can. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, the prostitute. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, the root of the stump of, uh, root of Jesse, remember? And Jesse, the father of David, the king. 
And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. And you're like, why? Why does this all matter? Just keep holding on. And Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ah... I'm sorry. I got my lines there. And the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, verse 10. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of um, Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of deportation of Babylon. And, verse 12, and after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shatil, and Shatil the father of Zerubbabel, cool name, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So, from creation to the birth of Christ, from creation to Christmas, this has always been the plan that we are doing here today, what we've always been meant to do, which is to rejoice in our Savior who has come for us. All of our redemption and hope, church, has firmly been rooted in the line of the tribe of Judah, in the root of Jesse, the conquering king, the promised prophet, the promised Messiah. All of it has been according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. And this is why we praise a God who saves us. He determined, though, not only to save us through the forgiveness of our sins and our eternal redemption, but he also determined how he would save us through the blood shed on the cross and through whom, through Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, one of the Trinity and yet completely one in the Trinity. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be remembered this Christmas. Now listen to this and then we will pray. Romans 16, 25 through 27 says this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, a lot of scripture today, a lot of your words that you by your spirit moved men to pen and that by your spirit you have preserved through your power and majesty and through you, Jesus Christ, coming on the cross for us, foretold ages past, of old, the ancient one, whose origins we cannot know. You are not a new plan. You are the plan from the very beginning, one of the triune eternal God, a mystery that just baffles us and also leads us to bend our knee and worship that you are the God. You are the wondrous mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and that now we get to rejoice in. So therefore, Lord, forgive me and forgive us when we forget that your heart was always set upon redeeming your people at your great cost, for your great fame, for all of eternity. Or teach us yet again, as Andy said, to be renewed in the hope that we have because of who you are. And we pray this on your son's holy name. Amen.